0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want you to turn in your Bible please to Matthew 16. Jesus takes his disciples and he puts this question to them, who are Who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And um, Peter answers finally in verse 16 of chapter 16. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build my church. I want to um, take a few moments this morning, and I'm aware that we have things to say a bit later, so I'm going to curtail myself a bit. I want to just take a few moments to talk about the church And particularly so that you can get a good sense of the heartbeat of the church that I have, and the DNA of this church, because as you know, churches are different, aren't they? You go to this church, it's like this. You go to that church, it's like this. And um, I want you to hear something about what I think God believes the church ought to be. There's a sign in, in some of the big churches. If you go into some of the big churches, they have a sign in the foyer. And it's, uh, it'll say something like this the church we see. Something like that. And, um, and then it lists all the things, you know, a great, great community, a worshiping house, or you know, a whole load of things, evangelism. The church we see. So in a sense, I want to talk about today the church we see. But I thought I'd save money on a very expensive graphic by just telling you. And also, perhaps to slightly correct it, and of course not in any way criticizing such a board, maybe we should have one. But actually, what do we want to talk, we want to talk about? What's the church that God sees? What does God think the church should be like? Not what does your dad think the church should be like? What do you think the church should be like? What does God think the church should be like? And outside of cultural or historical limitations, what should the church always be like? So a hundred years from now, when the preacher is merely a hologram, you know, or, uh, or something like that, or a hundred years ago when this place might have been lit with, you know, some very low light, might have been lit by uh, fat lights that might have looked exactly like that. (laughs) Um, But, you know, no matter what culture we're in, what country we're in, what period of time we're in, what should the church be like? Because we are, as I was saying last week, we are about to find out very soon whether or not uh, this church is a church in the, in the God sense, in as much as we're about to lose this building. And so if the only thing that makes us King's Church is this building, then we are about to get into some trouble, because we're going to lose the building. So we're going to find out very soon, what is it really that you know, brings us um, together? And when we build here, And change this place. Some of the reasons why we're going to do some of the things that we're going to do. So this is a a, a teaching series I did a while ago. And I just want to repeat this first session. I might carry on next week, I don't know. But I think this will be some good stuff for us. What does the Bible teach about the church that God sees? What should it be like? And of course, there are three answers. Number one, the church that God sees is God's church, not ours. That's the first thing. It doesn't belong to anyone except him. Can you say amen? It belongs to him. And uh, this, this piece of this psalm, Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house... They labour in vain who build it. Jesus says in uh, Matthew 21, first my house shall be called a house of prayer. It's God's house. The church belongs to God. It belongs to God. Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build, whose church? Yeah, I'll build my, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be mine. (laughs) And so in whatever generation we are, in whatever uh, culture we are, in whatever country we are, whatever age we are, if the church is not God's, then in a sense it's not really the church. It's something else that people have built or made. It belongs to God. Belongs to God. That's the first thing, very simple. The second thing is that it must connect with and affect its world. It must connect with and affect its world. Years ago, I was sat on an aeroplane with someone who was a Christian of another type of church to this. In fact, we were coming back from the land of Israel, believe it or not. And um, I said, well, I'm coming back and we're going to do some stuff at Christmas. And he looked at me horrified. Christmas, he said. Christmas? He said, you you celebrate Christmas? (laughs) You're a Christian, aren't you? I thought that was... Reasonable? What do you want me to do? Go home and do Ramadan? I mean, what do you want me to do? (laughs) He said, "We don't in our church. We don't celebrate Christmas." I said, "Well, why not?" He said, "Well, uh, everyone knows Jesus wasn't born in December, and everyone knows that it's just an old pagan festival that was made Christmas by the Roman Catholics." In blah blah, I thought, "Well, don't think everyone knows that." But yes, I happen to know that. He said, it's not Christmas at all. It's an old festival that's been Christianized. So that's why we don't do Christmas. I said, but haven't you thought, this is just me chatting with this fellow on the plane. I said, haven't you thought that if you put something on at Christmas, people might come who don't normally come? Isn't it an opportunity rather than a problem. He went, oh no, no, no. He said, if people, if people come, now listen to this. He said, if people come, God sends them. I said, right. He said, oh no, no, we don't do any outreach at all. If God wants to send them, he will. <laughs> I thought, well, I ain't going to his church for Christmas. His mind, anyway, the point of the story is, his mindset was totally different to mine. I, 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 I couldn't, you know, I almost couldn't believe what I was hearing. And anyway, we parted on good terms. You have to on a plane. You can't fall out on a plane, can you? So it was all fine. But I got a bit of a shock that day that not everyone believes in reaching the people. And not everyone believes that one of the primary purposes of the church is to reach the people. Now, he thought from his church they were reaching the people because God occasionally sent people in. But I don't think that's really in the Bible all that much. I think... In the Bible, we are supposed to go and get them. That's what I think. Rather than God pushes them through the door. I've, we've been here for years and years. I've never heard a single story of someone just walking down Tennyson Road. Uh, yeah, I'm just going to a stroll. thought I'd go and visit the, you know, the um, H Smiths at the station. And a great gust of holy wind blows them through the door. In, It's never happened. It's never happened. No, we have to connect with them and affect the world in which we are in. I want you to look at this. First Corinthians nine. Will you turn in your Bible to that. First Corinthians nine. And let's see what it says. Verse nineteen. Uh, let's pick it up, verse 20. Now, this is Paul speaking. He says this, To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, although I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one of those not having the law. Verse 22, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men. So that by all possible means, I might save some. Verse 23, I do all this, for the sake of the gospel. He says in order to win people. You have to connect with those people. To a, to a degree now. We'll, we'll handle the, the difficulties of this in a moment. But you have to become a bit like these. He said to the Jews. I became like a Jew. But that's not where it ends in order that I might win, he says, the Jew. To those who are not Jews, I became like them, in order that I might win them. And so we see one of the the primary purposes of the church is to become all things to all men so that we might, by all possible means, we might save some. And the purpose of doing it is to win. It's not to be groovy. It's not to be compromising. It's not to turn our back on God. It's in order to win people to Jesus Christ. Once the purpose is no longer to win people to Jesus Christ, then now we are in sin. But when our purpose is to win people to Jesus Christ, we are in righteousness. I once, uh, well, last week, when we were looking at that globe, I got that from a church in Cornwall. When I went to that church, I went into it, and they have a fabulous, you know, building, and all this, but I, I mentioned this, I think, when I, when I came back. They have a cafe area there, so we went and had, I think we had um, breakfast in there, a couple of mornings, And do you know what it reminded me of? Now, this might go over the head of many of you here. But it reminded me of a TV program called Home and Away. Now, does anyone know this program? Home and Away. Don't look at me with that Pentecostal look. I've never heard of that. (laughs) You know we belong together. What I remember about Home and Away, and I'm not an expert. I couldn't tell you the name of one character from it. That is the truth but i remember that it was a surfing uh, community you know and uh, and the the cafe that they had in this church i thought i was in i was i thought i was in the cafe of home and away by the way i've not seen it for years in case it's turned into some sort of like zombie killer program I, but i assume it's still the same okay and um and all around where there were there were surfboards uh, there and they were playing sort of Surfing music—I don't, I don't know what to—I don't know what to call it—but it was a really groovy place to be. And someone said to the pastor, "Why does it look?" Because that's not what you expected a Pentecostal cafe to look like. You thought at least we might have, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a big text on the wall or something like this. And of course there were those. But it looked like a surfing cafe because the town in which it was situated was a surfing town. People came there from all over the world to do surfing. And I felt a bit out of place. You know, surfing is not what I am anointed to do. <laughs> so I did not really understand surfing. But I understood that when they, when they sat down in their planning meetings, around the table, how are we going to design the cafe? What they didn't do was design it for the Christians. Can you say amen? They designed it for the people they wanted to come into it. Can you say amen? Right from the word go. They didn't get halfway through the plan and go, hang on a minute. (laughs) We better rethink it. Right from the word go. They planned it for the people who weren't coming Not the people who were already coming. Did I say that right? They planned it for people who weren't coming. Not the people who already were coming. They had become all things to all men. Now, of course, there's a line that you draw. How many of you know that if a surfing cafe has a nude woman on the wall, you shouldn't have that in church? So there's a line... That says, no, we're we're not doing that. We're supposed to be different. Can you say amen? We're supposed to be distinct. We're not compromising with the world. But we do have to connect with them. We have to reach them. Because the wind ain't blowing them in through the door you are the light of the world matthew 5 you are the salt of the earth titus 2 verse 10 is one of my favorite verses of scripture it says this that in every way we should make the teaching about god our savior attractive that's an extraordinary verse now the message that we bring let me let me let me tell you the message that we bring is often Very, very unpopular. And we must not change the message. Not one iota. Because only the gospel can save people. There's no new gospel. There's no gospel 1.1. There's no upgrade on the message. The message is the same. It's the same. There is only one way to God, and that's through Christ. There is a place where people must repent of their sins and live in a different way to the way they lived before. Otherwise, the gospel is not at work in their heart. So the message stays the same. But the methods will change and should change from one generation to another. One church, they kept the format exactly the same for nearly a hundred years. And one guy came in and he said, you know what, this church is very old-fashioned here. Not the message now, the style, the style, very old-fashioned. And the guy said, no, no, we keep it this way. Because Pastor Smith wanted it this way. And they didn't quite have a picture of him on the wall, but it was a bit like that. He wanted it this way. and The man came back with a, with a quote maybe that they would needed to hear for a hundred years. He said, Tradition is not wearing Pastor Smith's coat. Tradition is going out and buying a new one Just like he did. In the picture, he was wearing the newest coat. And we have to have the same message. Because without the same message, there is no power. There is no change to the message. Narrow is the way that leads to life. But the methods, the mechanisms... The way we reach people. These things have to be under review all the time. In a few weeks time I begin teaching at the Bible College. And I'm just doing my lectures now. I hope no one's listening to this. But I'm just putting them together now. And my first lecture is going to be about um, communication. What business are we really in? We're not in the saving business. We are not in the healing business. Even people with healing gifts are not in the healing business. Great preachers are not in the saving business. We can't save anyone. We can't change anyone's life, can we? So what business are we in? We are in the communication business. So everything we do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is the communication business. That's the business we're in. That's the business we must develop in. That's the business we have to think about. Only God can do miracles. Only God can save people from their sins. But we, we are in the communication business. So we have to communicate. And Titus 2 verse 10, we have to make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. That doesn't say we have to change the teaching about God our Savior. But in all the things that we're planning to do here, to make this just so much better, I believe by the time we're done it will be 100% improved. 100%. If I was on the X factor, I would say 200%. But we're staying in good science here. 100% improved. This week I met with the media people and all the stuff they want to do with media in here. Oh, I wish media was cheaper. But all the media stuff we want to do in here. Because we've got to connect with the with the um, community. If the community have iPads, then perhaps we shouldn't have pieces of paper. Do you understand? We have to... We have to keep up. We have to keep up. It's, it's not a race. But if the community have colored brochures, we shouldn't have black and white ones. We, we, we have to connect with, become all things to all men. In order that what? We might be feel more groovy, compromise. No way. Don't anyone dare accuse me of compromise. No, no. So that we can reach them. So we can reach them. God has given us this venue. Is this a venue? Is this a worship house or a mission house? I tell you, it's both. Is it a worship house? Yes. Is it a mission house? Yes. So we need to have worship and mission both running along the same track in here. That's what it is. It's not just a worship house. It's a mission house. But it's not just a mission house. It's a worship house. Number three. The church that God sees. Number one, it's his. Number two, it wants to connect with and affect its world. Number three. It's leaders in every generation, in every culture in every country, in every period of church must equip and release people to serve God. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes about the gifts of Christ to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And he says there that their job is to equip God's people for works of service. Now let me tell you what he doesn't say. (laughs) He doesn't say their job is to do the works of service. And everyone else, you know, watch. He says that they must equip God's people for works of service, or to do the work of the ministry. You... Whoever you are, you are in the ministry. I don't know if you are doing your ministry. I don't know if you're passionate about your ministry. But you are in the ministry. We are all supposed to be in the ministry. Because ministry just means service. And we're all supposed to be servants, aren't we? And God sends into his church in every era, in every town, in every place, in every century. He sends gift people Who of course are, are in some measure they are gifted and skilled in areas of ministry. But one of their primary focuses is to train others in the ministry. To replicate themselves. When God made Adam and Eve, that wasn't it. He made them and said, now create a world. Reproduce yourself. God wants, there to be a, God wants there to be gifts, gift people in every place where his church is. Not special people, not more important people, not people to be more respected than others. We're not into that. Just call me Peter. But the point is this, that my role is actually, yes, I do a bit, I do, I do some stuff, but I'm also supposed to train others to do the same. That's, that's my job. So that we reproduce ourselves. Let's look at this. Second Timothy chapter 2. Quickly, just take a look at this. This is the church that God sees. Second Timothy 2, verse 2. And we'll pick it up in verse 1. And then you then, my son... This is Paul writing to Timothy, a young leader. He says, Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable men. We will put in there, of course, reliable women too. But entrust to reliable men. The things you've heard from me. Entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. He says to him, you've got something, Timothy, in you, and here's your job. The things you've learned, the things you know, what it is about you, entrust, not to anyone, but reliable people. Entrust to reliable people that they might be able to go and do the same. The ministry can't be entrusted to anyone unless they carry it. If they carry it, then they can fulfill it. Let's look at this final piece of scripture, Numbers 11. Let's just turn to that. And I want to pick this thought up as I close. These are the building blocks of church in every era, in every place. Numbers 11. Where a great anointing service takes place. I'm going I'm to draw to a close, but you're going to learn, I, I hope you're going to learn something about the anointing now that you maybe had never heard before. What is this anointing? In Numbers 11, Moses is burdened. He's fed up with all the work he's having to do and the burden he's carrying. And and many leaders can sometimes feel like that. And we might unpack this more another time, but just for the sake of time, I'll just pick it up in verse 16. This is what he was supposed to do. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people, make them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you, and I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you, and put the Spirit on them. Now, look at me. If you are a Pentecostal, charismatic person, you could get really excited about this. Wow, Moses says, in half an hour, God's going to come to a meeting that we're going to have, and the Spirit that's on me is going to be put on you. You can imagine just the 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 uh, charismatics. Oh, hallelujah! This, this is going to be good. Wearing the right trousers in case I fall down. Uh, I'm going to go to this meeting. This is going to be a, to be a, a wonderful meeting. Let's let's make sure we're there. Yes, the the spirit that's on Moses is going to come upon these people. And so they come. And this still goes on today where altar calls are open for people who just want, they, they, they want the anointing of God. People just come and a hand is put on them or something like this. And by the way, God does wonderful things at times like that. Not despising them, But let's just be clear what they're about. Because what happens? He says, verse 17, I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. And they will help you carry the burden so you won't have to carry it alone. That's what what should happen at the anointing impartation. That the burden of the work of God, transfers from one to another. That's what the impartation is about. And I'm not mad, but I do like to tell the truth, that there's whole loads of church people who haven't got a clue about that. They think the anointing is really just about feeling, oh, I'm feeling something now. But they don't leave that meeting with any more of a burden than they had before. And that's how you know when a man or a woman has truly received the Holy Spirit, they now have a burden on them. Now you might prefer the kind of church that sings, Jesus has rolled all my burdens away. But Jesus doesn't want to roll all your burdens away. He might want to roll away the burden of your sin. Amen. He might want to ra- roll away the burden of your guilt. Amen. He might want to roll away the burden of your guilty conscience. Amen. But he hasn't come to take away your burden for the lost. He hasn't come to take away your burden for him. It should be a burden. I'll finish with this story because Jane will love this. When we were moving house, when was that? Last year. Jane says to me, now, look, we can't put this off any longer. We've got to move the bed from upstairs. Oh, no. How are we going to do that? How are we going to get the bed down the stairs? It's it's a big bed. And I kept saying, look, should we just do it tomorrow? No, we've got to do it now. So in the end, I said, okay, let's get the bed. (laughs) I don't know how we're going to do it. Let's get it down the stairs. So we get the bed. And we're carrying it down the stairs, and to my absolute delight, it was really light. It was. It was bit, I thought, wow, I thought it was going to be heavy. It's a light little thing, this. Have we been sleeping on this? It's really light. And we're carrying it down this one on for about five minutes, six minutes. I think, wow. Either this bed is light or I am Mr. Strong here. There's no sweat. Why did we do this weeks ago? could have done this with one hand. In fact, I began to do it with one hand. Amazing. And then suddenly we turned the corner. And I realized for the first time that I wasn't really carrying my fair share. And because of the, now some of you scientists can explain this to me, because of the, you know, the way we were doing it, you can come and tell me after. No, 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 don't, don't tell me. But because of the angle of the bed and the angle of the stairs and the way Jane was carrying several stone of weight at the front or the back, I can't remember which way we did it, I realized that I looked like I was carrying the bed. If you'd taken a photograph, it looked like we were carrying the bed. But in reality, I wasn't carrying it at all. I was guiding it. (laughs) Now a guide's important but I wasn't carrying the bed. Four guys can look like they're carrying a piano, but maybe only three of them are. One might look like they're carrying, but they're not really carrying it. And I want to encourage you. Don't ask God to take all your burdens away. Because God has got a burden for you. Now, he said, no, don't talk. Like that. I don't like that. I, Jesus said, my burden is light. But he didn't say there was no burden. We're supposed to have a burden. And if we don't all carry the piano equally, what it means is that someone, two or three people, are carrying the huge burden of the piano while other people are just in the photograph looking like they're carrying it. Does anyone understand me today? What does God's church look like? It looks like this. A church that belongs to him and not us. It looks like a church that must connect with and affect its world. And in any time, in any place, in any community, it's a place where God indeed raises up gift people who train others and impart the anointing of God to them in order that they might have a burden for the work of God. Of the ministry. Let me just ask you this morning. What's your burden? In the work of the ministry. What's your? You might have a burden about. I've got a burden about paying my gas bill. I've got a burden because my kid. Don't like going to school. I'm not talking about that. What's your burden in the ministry? Because God has a burden for you. Now I appreciate this morning. I'm not selling it very well. But I am selling it accurately. Accurately. This is the church that God sees. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org.